Perfect. Brian, Evolution Evolution, thank you for joining us on uh, the Bluemix podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Really nice to be here with you. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, so I've been really excited for this episode just to dive deep into what your history and what you're doing, because you have quite the bio. Uh, you were part of the priesthood, left mm -hmm. that to go to philanthropy, and now you're coaching others and helping them grow. Um, I want to dive deep into that history and uh, see how that brought you to your current journey right now. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Yeah, it is quite a journey. <laughs> Definitely. So let's talk about uh, the first part of your life. Uh, you talked about the evolution, evolution you're doing now. Talking about evolution, you went through the double evolution of your life curve, right? Can you talk yes. a little about that? The priesthood and what what took you there? It, that's what you started off most of your career in, right? In your twenties. Yeah, I know. Definitely. Yeah. So I was born and raised uh, in the states uh, in Boston, and I went to undergrad in Ohio. And I went to a small liberal arts Catholic university. And that's mm -hmm. when I decided at the university um, to then go into the seminary. So after I graduated, I went back to Boston and I applied for the seminary. And it was quite a process uh, to get in. It was over several months and, um, you know, interviews and psychological testing and, and everything. And then I was admitted and I started in the fall after graduating undergrad. It was a six year program, but I was fortunate that I was able to do it in five years. And the reason for that was I had some philosophy credits that they transferred in and I had to take a language exam and I passed that. So I didn't have to study the language. And it was an amazing five years experience uh, for me. Mm -hmm. And not only just the academic rigor and preparation, but it was also every year you had an assignment, like a pastoral assignment to kind of develop you and an internship. So my first year was with a women's state prison. Uh, I was 22 years old and I was at this maximum security prison to uh, oh, wow. teach religion classes. Then the next year I was in hospice work, dealing with people that were in the final stages of life who were dying from HIV, cancer, variety of illnesses. Then I was sent to South America, uh, to Ecuador by myself for one summer for three months to work in a very, very poor area in a mission territory and learn Spanish. And um, then I also served in an internship in Boston before I was ordained. And I was ordained a priest in 99. And I was young. I think I was just turning 27 at the time. In my first four years, I served in a parish west of Austin, and it was an amazing experience, uh, like 2,700 families, and it was vibrant. I was, it, you know, in so many ways, I felt like I was working in Las Vegas. I did weddings nonstop. It was like a parish that had wedding after wedding, and I was just, I was booked constantly for weddings, and then that led to being booked constantly for baptisms. And you entered into people's lives at critical moments. And it was yeah. beautiful, like really beautiful. And then as everyone may you know, be aware, remember, you know, the sexual abuse crisis that erupted in the United States and then filtered throughout the world, the epicenter of that was Boston, uh, where I was a, a priest. And the cardinal who was there at the time, Cardinal Law, ended up resigning. Uh, at that time. And it really, really began kind of the process of healing for the archdiocese and, and for the church. But a new cardinal came to town. Uh, Sean O'Malley was his name, who is known as a man who is a, a kind of a healing presence, someone that, you know, really was there to help bring forth healing and new decisions. And one night on a Thursday night, I always remember this, I got a phone call around nine o'clock from one of the regional bishops saying, hey, Brian, um, could you come in for a meeting tomorrow at noon? Everything is great, but we wanna talk to you about an opportunity. And so I went in the next day and I was told that the new Cardinal had selected me to be his, um, to use a secular term would be chief of staff, but uh, the church uses a term called private secretary. So literally overnight, my life changed. I moved into the cathedral with the cardinal. I traveled with him throughout the world. We were back and forth to the Vatican on a regular basis, meetings with the Holy Father, 
diplomatic events. We were at Pope John Paul's uh, funeral, um, all the diplomatic events around that. And it was an amazing, amazing experience um, on a global platform. But that's really when I came to make the decision to leave. And yeah. so I'll pause there. I don't know if you have some questions that kind of, but that just kind of, that's the nutshell yeah. of the story there. No, awesome journey. Um, I guess my first question is, did you map out this career in the, in, um, as the priesthood? Um, did you know what you're getting yourself into? Did you know what that looked like? Or were these like moments that organically came, like you know, going into the cemetery, uh, seminary, right? Yeah, I did go to a lot of cemeteries too as a priest. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, no doubt. But like, did you map out what you want to be doing? Or was this something that you just evolved into, right, uh, naturally? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've, I've been asked that question. I look back and I think the moment I can kind of pinpoint in my life that I felt there might have been something deeper inside of me, um, I was a little boy. And I remember being in church um, with my family. We went to Sunday mass. We were not overly like crazy religious. I mean, we went to church on Sundays. God was spoken about at home. Um, but it was just, it was kind of the fabric of our life. And we lived our life. School was important, all our different things. But I remember one day sitting in church and I turned to my mom and I said, is there a saint school you can go to uh, to learn how to become a saint? Because I remember hearing these stories about these like human beings that, you know, some of them lived ordinary lives, but the impact they made on the people around them, the culture, the heroic virtues that so many of them took on, I was deeply inspired. And I really believe at that moment, that's kind of when there was something inside of me that I was not able to articulate fully, but a desire to serve others. So yeah. it really was in university where the thought of priesthood kept coming back. And especially being in an environment that was very Catholic, um, there were a few people that brought it to my focus saying, you know, have you ever thought about being a priest? You know, you, be, you, know, you, you have a great love for people, um, you connect, and this might be something. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. But when I entered the seminary, I really just went in with every year reevaluating. Every year was positive. Every year I kept growing. I kept getting positive feedback. So I kind of felt it was the right place to be. And it really was later when I was working for the Cardinal that I, I really came to realize those four years, I was no longer doing weddings. I was no longer involved with people's lives like I had been. And I really didn't miss it to the degree that I thought I was. And I really enjoyed the work I was doing, but also came to realize that I could be authentic to myself, um, who I was, that I wanted to love another person, that I could bring that love and service outside of being a priest. And, and really made that decision um, to move forward out of that. And, and it was, I took a year, I did one year um, of really looking at that decision. I worked with someone professionally as well. Um, I remember saying I wanted to work with this good Jewish psychologist. I wanted someone who was not affiliated with the church, someone who was <laughs> neutral, unbiased. And I tested the decision and, you know, to make sure that it wasn't just a moment, but really that, you know, I could be authentic with myself that I could embrace who I was fully as, as a gay man, as someone that wanted to live my life, that had a deep desire to serve and um, made all the right decisions and uh, mm -hmm. left. And the Cardinal was very supportive and we still keep in touch uh, a couple of times a year and uh, move forward to, to begin a new chapter. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I, was, I was trying to move slowly into that category of why you left, and I think you alluded to that. Um, what, sexual orientation, was that a major factor and you decided to leave, or was the type of work uh, shifted you out? Like, um, I would like to di di dissect that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so I would say it was really, it was really three things. So I think, you know, for me, um, 
the sexual orientation of coming to terms of being gay was something I had struggled with for years, but it had been pushed kind of down. Um, and it really was when I started working with um, the Cardinal and being away from ministry that I really started, I had a couple, I met a couple people that were just, um, that were in the church, some people that were outside of the church that really helped me own that peace inside of me. And, and, you know, it was a challenging moment in the church that I realized I wanted to not just give my life to a career, keep growing, because I was on that track of, you know, probably being groomed for a lot more. I wanted to embrace who I was. I wanted to, I had a desire to love freely. I had a desire to love another person. I had a desire to take my natural gifts and continue that calling in a new way. And so that was, that was definitely one area. I think the other aspect was, you know, working for the Cardinal at such a high level in that particular role, I realized I had so many other gifts that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed planning. I enjoyed, you know, um, kind of the business side of things. And so that yeah. was a real, that was a real drive for me. That was a real drive. And, um, and I would say the third was just a sense of, I, I just really believed I had a calling that could continue on in a new way and, um, and felt like it could impact even more people. And so, yeah, yeah, it was a big decision. And there were so many people that were very supportive. There were some people that, you know, that weren't, you know, there were some mm -hmm. friends and individuals that, you know, it's interesting. You, you really realize who loves you unconditionally when you make a big decision. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and it was a, it was a, it was a big moment, but it was the right decision. And I've never doubted it ever since. Absolutely. And I think it's a shocking to some people to see how selfish people around them are when it comes to personal decisions they're making for themselves to better themselves, mm -hmm. right? Everything from coming out to um, transferring careers, right? Making right. major life decisions. People are like, you're throwing your life away. Why would you do this to yourself? Why would you do this to the others? People take personally almost. Right. And it, it, that's one of the biggest, hardest points of the personal evolution and personal growth. Because people can't step outside the boundaries is that the, the infrastructure you have around you from family to the comfort levels of your geography and like the life you've built kind of mm -hmm. puts you in the zone where you have to jump out of to grow and right. develop. Right. So that, those are really pivotal moments in your life when you choose to do so. And, you know, going from having an opportunity to, you know, work with a cardinal and going to all these high caliber events, meeting all these high caliber people definitely must have had like a change in your mindset of what you can do and what you can become. And yes. uh, it makes sense you made that kind of jump afterwards, seeing a different side of yourself and discovering that. Yes. Right? And you're, this, this, I think you told me you did this in your 30s, right? When you about to turn 30? Yeah, it was in my 30s. Yeah, early 30s. Yeah. I really like how you're, when we were discussed earlier, you talked about how your 20s was different, your 30s have been different, now your 40s, you're evolving once again, and mm -hmm. you're going to a different path. And it takes me really back to that, like Jack Michael, right? Like you, you spend your 20s learning, get some good mentors, find mm -hmm. that out. In your 30s, you build, and your 40s kind of give back, right? right? About dividing your life in these kind of zones. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Like how has mentally shifting your focus been for you? Like refocusing on going a different path versus what you've done, getting out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. how, was that a painful experience? Did that lead to further growth? How was that? Yeah, great question. And I would say this too, it was interesting. Uh, we'll get to the part when I moved to New York City. I remember meeting this gentleman, probably my first or second year there. He had to be, he was a big executive. He was probably like in his early 60s. And he was just really lovely. Like he was kind of, um, not a mentor, but just, he was really intrigued with my story and, and very impressed with kind of what, what steps I'd taken. I, I always remember this. He looked at me and he said, Brian, a man comes into his own in his 40s. Mm. And he said, you'll understand that more when you, when you get into your 40s. And, he, and, I, and I have to say, now that I'm in my 40s and the late 40s part of it now, it's the truth. I have to say, when you enter in your 40s, you really do enter into a new phase. So for me, the 20s was, you know, it's all about academics, you know, undergrad and then seminary. 
and then being ordained at the end of the 20s. And I, and I have to say that at that particular time, I was very focused on the what's next, what's the next step, you know, how do I do this, you know, checkbox, okay, I finished the seminary, now I get the assignment, now I get the, a bigger assignment. Where the 30s was a, a chance of really coming into my own a little bit in the early stages of like embracing what I wanted, not what others expected of me. And I think that was probably the biggest aspect of when you, you know, when I had to step away from the church, when I made that decision, it was a sense of owning what I really desired. And that's what I kind of lived my life on since then. It's always asking that question, what is it that I desire? Because when you're really honest to that desire, that's where the truth of who you are and what you need to do. And Absolutely. that's what will continue to evolve. And that's kind of the step I took. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, I talk to people from all different fields of life and it's, it's about the same, right? In your 20s, you're so pushed by family or your environment of trying to like get ahead and move ahead and get those check marks right. under you. And you're trying to follow what other people's paths have been put in front of you. You know, your parents want you to go to this particular school, get this particular degree. You know, your friends are graduating and getting these kind of jobs. So you're trying to get, gotta chase after. You're like chasing mm -hmm. after a potential dream about you don't really know what you're building. Mm -hmm. And then you hit this point where you reach this potential growth or you hit a benchmark and it's like, wait, this is not enough. Yeah. Right. I experienced the, experience the same thing where like, you know, you chase a certain like income level and mm -hmm. you reach it and you start reaching for more. So reaching mm -hmm. for more and you start realizing this is not a never ending game. Mm -hmm. And you know, growth doesn't necessarily have to be associated with a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It can be associated with many different aspects of your life and you have to spread that along. Right. right, growth happens when you develop character, understand who you are, understand what your needs are, understand what your desires are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, but I want to. I have. I'm a, I have a personal curiosity about working sure. within the church and being a priest. Right, um, I mean, the Catholic Church is as an institution over a thousand years old. It's built on all these legacy systems, and you can imagine like there's probably a bunch of bureaucracy there. Like, how does it work internally? You know, that's, I, I guess, like, is it like an NGO, like a super large NGO? It's like its own government. It's mm. multi, is it a, a, a multinational corporation? Like you, after seeing so many different structures, working in NGO life, working with private, private enterprises, governments, right? How, to somebody who's on the outside, how would you describe the organization? Mm. Right? Yeah, great question. So within the church, I'm going to say this. I'm amazed at how it works. <laughs> so there are, it's the most bureaucratic system um, in the world. And it's probably the bureaucratic icon for every other institution that has many layers. So I have to say, you know, working within the church, number one, I think it's really important to say, you know, I saw, I saw more good in the church than bad. And I will always stand by that. I saw so many people who are truly dedicated to really wanting to bring goodness and impact and in, in wholeness to other people. Are there some people that are deeply flawed and, and made some bad decisions and has it had great impact? Yes. But overall, I think there's, there is a, a mission there, people that want to make impact and good. I found that the church, um, even on the local level, had, had many layers, you know what I mean? And so even when I was in the parish and working in the Archdiocese of Boston, there were layers there that, you know, just, you know, it was just amazing just how long it could take to move something forward. And then when I worked with the Cardinal and we were at the Vatican, and meeting all these other cardinals and meeting, you know, different offices at the Vatican, it, it was unbelievable. Like, I, I just couldn't get over how many months it could take to get certain things done. Um, I would say there was high diplomacy and, you know, and there's an art skill. I mean, they are the ones who founded like the first diplomatic, you know, aspect. So there is a high level of diplomacy there. And yeah. it was amazing. But at the, again, the part that I saw too is they were human. And, you know, sometimes I saw people that were beautiful and how they took their leadership. And I saw some that I found quite surprising and how they engaged as well. 
And you know, it was it was amazing to watch and, and to see that to see that happen. And um, you know, it was I found being at the Vatican for so many of those different uh, opportunities that that was just an amazing experience uh, to see that. And um, sometimes just would scratch my head like, how does this all work? And then other times. It's been, it's been years, they cultivate a culture that they want. And, um, you know, I find it's, it's very hierarchical and, and it has a certain way. But I think, you know, the current Pope, I think, is changing some of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's good and it needed that and it needs more of it as well. And so, um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah, the current Pope, I mean, when he first uh, came to be and... Uh, announced things, started announcing things like, you know, hell does not exist. And like radically change, like, you know, putting out these radical thoughts out there from the top down, kind of woken, uh, like, like a lumbering giant, right? Like within the system of like all these different change. But on the outside of looking in, that made me really attracted to the church because they're like, look at this person, the Pope who's coming in, you know, vastly changing the way that the, the propaganda machine behind, uh, behind religion. Right and trying to trying to push push that away and trying to go to the purest form it is like what is meant there what is meant to be right is to serve people um, to to help them attain a betterment right mm-hmm. and that was that was really cool to see so I'm, I'm I'm I've been enjoying a lot of transformation the church is going through but mm-hmm. me I'm, I'm a I love history right so nice. one of the things I love is diving into history from everything from the Roman Empire to the Holy Roman Empire and mm-hmm. how the church came to be with Emperor Constantine I know and Constantinople and the Byzantine Empire and how the right. church spread within these empires and how they develop, right? I really enjoy that aspect. And, you know, I grew up, frankly, atheist, right? Mm-hmm. To, um, like, you know, my family is, is filthy Hindu, but, but my parents were more, like my dad, more atheist. I was raised with, like, scientific principles. So mm-hmm. I, I was raised very agnostic to uh, religious, religious ideas. And it was until university, uh, uh, it was a priest who was walking around campus and he gathered around, you know, Muslims, Hindus, like multiracial people, uh, Catholics, uh, Protestants, and just start talking about, you know, religions openly. And up to that point, religion was like a taboo subject. Right? You don't talk about the person's religion, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And some, this guy opened up a forum to talk about it. And I remember like that was a very transformative moment for me because I got to get introduced to all these different ideas where mm-hmm. before it was a taboo subject. And mm-hmm. since then, like I've had, like uh, I had bosses. I, I was lucky enough to have mentors and bosses who took me to church, took me to um, different churches, took me to um, uh, temples, right, um, synagogues. Like I've gotten to see these, and like you get to see the layer that is beneath the religion, mm-hmm. which is servicing people and making them feel part of a community, and you know, mm-hmm. give them focus and direction in life. And it reaches, it's, it's, it's reaching for the higher elements in life mm-hmm. through this vehicle of religion, through mm-hmm. these, through the, through, um, the, I guess the layered histories behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the, it's, a, it's a powerful force. And as a minister, as like someone who's in charge of that particular church, you get to levy that power to direct people in certain directions. Mm-hmm. Right? And I really enjoyed seeing, you know, good good-minded people the way they wield that kind of like religious power right mm-hmm. I mean, i've met people that like both um like, you know christian and also um hindu who can like look into your soul and just mm-hmm. know you mm-hmm. you know it's like you know like they just grab you and they can just expel the truth about you because they're so in tune with like people and and understanding people and like servicing them and uh people openly telling them stuff that they've become this like they have this like power to them mm-hmm. where they can peer into you and like give you guidance that you don't even know that you need it sometimes. Yes. And those kind of figures have a lot of power, and a lot of sway, mm-hmm. you know, and I can, I can count three times in my life when someone has come and told me, you know, certain things about myself and it's like, Whoa, how, how would you know this? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think beyond the religion is like these powerful people who can, who can levy the power granted them through theology um, but can thread the needle, right? Push people in certain directions, can change lives and influence people at very high levels. Yes. And I've enjoyed meeting these kind of people and seeing what they can do. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think the one thing to remember too is, you know, there's something in all of us, uh, every single human being that's thirsting for that truth or for guidance. And, yeah. and I think that was the gift of, yes, when I was a priest, to be able to do that in the, you know, the traditional formal church of doing that. But it, there is something deep inside the heart of every person, you know, seeking. And, you know, we all have the ability to do that. But I think there's also a sense of, you know, having sometimes just this sense of knowing when some, something is going on in someone that you need to approach them or to say something. And, um, and it is, it's very, it's very sacred. It's very special. I think for myself, what's been really beautiful all these years after leaving the parish there are still parishioners who are my parishioners that still keep in touch with me and which is just so beautiful. And they've been so supportive to me, you know, for when I went to work for the Cardinal when I left, when I did different things, one family in particular, um, their daughter was so young when I was in the parish, but she got married this past new year's Eve and they invited me to the wedding and they said, the, the daughter said, I always wanted you to do my wedding, you know, but obviously I know that's not going to happen now, but I did one of the readings and, you know, just that connection, that spiritual connection of being with that family for so many years then and how they've supported me and hopefully I've been there for them. It's really beautiful. So yeah, that you experience it, that is, is, is so great. I can imagine. So, so great. Absolutely. So let's dive into the second part of your sure. life when you left. Uh, left the priesthood and you went to, to work for more NGOs, right? Mm -hmm. And philanthropy, right? How is that transition like? Because generally people get into philanthropy when they have money, right? Yes, they have yeah. money to give. They, yeah. you know, reach a point in the pinnacle of their careers where they have a lot to give and they become donors. How does it work when you're, you know, when you're transitioning in your 30s to work in this environment? Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. When I was leaving, you know, I, I planned like it was one year, right? And all I knew was that I wanted to move to New York City. Uh, I had been going to New York City for years. I knew it well. And I knew that's where I wanted to live. I just, I just knew that. I didn't know what job in the world I was going to go for. And I, I had no clue. And so what I did, I was really fortunate, you know, obviously for the role that I had, um, there were, I made a lot of contacts. And there was one gentleman in particular I had met. Uh, he actually worked at the White House. And um, I contacted him because he left the White House and he went on to become um, a president of a university. And I contacted him confidentially and I told him um, what I was going to be doing to leave. And I just wanted to seek some of his insights about what I might think about doing. So he listened and, he, and I said, but I know I want to go to New York City. He said, I want to connect you with someone in New York. And he said, I think the two of you, you know, would connect well. And he said, you might be quite helpful. So I connected with this gentleman who had worked on Wall Street. And then obviously he had started to go into some not-for-profit work himself. And so he kind of helped me I was, as I was looking at my resume of looking at different opportunities. And he said, you know, there may be something in that kind of not-for-profit world that might align. You can also look in other areas. And um, I was just very open. And one day I was sitting uh, in my uh, room. I had my laptop and I was looking for different jobs in New York. And this position came up. I'll never forget this moment. And it was with the American Cancer Society in New York. And it was a director level. And the way the job was described, I knew when I was reading and I said, that's for me. I, I just, this is my job. And so um, I applied, finally connected with the hiring manager. We did interviews. I went to New York and um, I got the job. And they were very kind. They waited for me. Um, you know, I told them the time frame, and, and they waited. And that was an easy transition because they wanted someone that could build high net worth relationships for a lot of their uh, funding and for their opportunities. So I moved to New York. It was funny. I knew one person. I went there. I started the job. And I remember I started on a Monday and I was really excited. That Tuesday, I got a phone call that my father had died unexpectedly oh, no. in New York. 
So here I am, like brand new in this job. This company had waited for me. I had to go in and tell them I had to go back to Boston. And even that experience didn't shake me that I made the wrong decision. It actually kind of made me just even emphasize more I was in the right place. And within nine months after that, going back, I got a promotion um, <laughs> to be the director of corporate development for Manhattan. They had kind of reorganized kind of their kind of frontline business development. So my portfolio overnight literally became working with like the Fortune 100 companies and building out big revenue streams and funding for that. And I loved it. I was on 32nd Street was the, the office there. And working and networking was amazing. It was really, really amazing. The biggest transition for me in the first year was I was so used to working for the Cardinals office that if I called someone, I always got a call back. I always got my emails responded to. And it was a big lesson learning. I was in New York. There were a lot of unreturned phone calls. And, a lot, and at first I was like, why aren't these people responding? I was so used yeah. to just having everything come back. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but that was good because it really forced me to kind of, you know, develop a new skill set. And the hardest part about being in New York at that time was um, 2008, the economy took a, a turn and just, it was, it was terrifying, you know, being in New York. But the gift was I was part a, of a new organization that was uh, growing in New York. And um, it was a chamber of commerce. It was called the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. And it was booming. It's now one of the biggest and most successful in New York. And I had a huge network there. And I was able to tap into that corporate network and got a lot of money for diversity, uh, especially for cancer funding that had never been tapped. And it turned out to be one of the most successful years they ever had which led to job creation as well. So it was an amazing experience and I loved it. And it, I really have to say, I found kind of my experience of being as a priest, kind of a natural intuition, which you talked about, you know, connecting with people sometimes, it served me very well on the business side. Like I could tell immediately when I went to a meeting, like mm, something else is going on here, certain behaviors. Um, certain things that I was just kind of sometimes inspire, inspired to do or to reach out to, it always proved effective. And um, I started to kind of bring that into my work, into my teams that I was leading more and more. And it really had a very positive effect. Um, and it just came very natural, actually. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, did any contacts you made in the, in the Cardinal's office, did that translate over into NGO work you did? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I would say, you know, for me, the biggest aspect was, you know, definitely working at a high level of, with individuals, you know, I mean, all of a sudden you're dealing with very high level influential people and the experience that I had of working with the Cardinal um, in diplomatic events and different things, I was very comfortable. I was not intimidated. So I was never, and I think that's the biggest thing I was, confident in a, in a humble sense. And I wasn't intimidated by like big egos uh, that I encountered quickly in New York. Um, and for some reason, I was able to have a skill set to not how to manage them with ease and not feel intimidated. I found too, you know, working with the Cardinals, I did a lot of um, correspondence. I drafted a lot of things, you know, letters for him, Sometimes when he was asked to write forwards to books, I would kind of draft some of that for him to look at. So I think my writing and the ability to know how to connect with people helped quite a bit too. Um, and, you know, being a priest, and I think also just part of my nature as a person, I, I was pretty high touch points. And I think that came through and how I engaged with individuals. And um, as I built my network, I think it just was, it came from a place of sincerity. And, and I think people felt that. And it wasn't just making contacts. And so all of that experience helped quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So you said your 30s mostly work with NGOs and nonprofits mm -hmm. and uh, philanthropy. And now you're transitioning again, right? Uh, to more growth coaching and personal development. Right. Right. How's, how's that been? What was the decision tree there? 
Yeah, so after being with the NGOs, uh, you know, as executive director of NYU Medical, then I became executive director at the University of Toronto Faculty in Medicine. Then I was a partner in executive search for uh, a few years, got recruited by recruitment firms to go into that. And then I really just was in a moment um, that I wanted to bring all of that together. Um, I really, I just felt this deep sense. I, I always loved having my own business. Yeah, I desired to do that. And so I established Evolution Evolution. And, um, you know, the name means a lot because it's kind of been my life. The first evolution is our natural evolution of who we are as human beings, especially now during COVID, you see even more how evolution plays into our life. But that second evolution is the one that you own and and who you want to be and so for me it was really powerful now where i'm at to be able to help individuals um, evolve to be who they want to be authentically especially in work i just really find you know that's where we spend so much of our time and we all have a mission we all have gifts to bring whatever it is in life and so often people just get they, they limit themselves of what they think they should do, but they don't do, or they do what people are, are kind of told them what to do. And the work that I love now, I just founded it six months ago, are, is working with individuals that want to grow, that want to evolve to a new level, that want to have a new way of leading teams to a new way of hiring individuals, a new way of making an impact. And my belief, and, and this is, I think, really the core of the work that I'm doing is when you're fully aligned with who you are as a person, with your gifts, with your values, with what you believe your purpose is, that is what will make the greatest impact fully in your work and who you are as a person. And, you know, you can't separate. You just, you just can't separate. This is what I do for work. This is who I am as a person. You're the same person. And when you start trying to live in two different worlds, as I did for a period of time and so many others, that's when you're conflicted, that's when you don't feel you're successful, and that's when you're not making impact. So it's been a real joy to establish this, and, and even in six months, the company is evolving uh, as well. So it's been, it's been quite exciting. Amazing, that's it's great to hear. Um, what kind of people do you work with then? How can people get in touch? Yeah, so you know, some of the individuals, when I, when I established the company, I, I decided I just put out there kind of my expertise. So I love working with individuals at really at any stage uh, of their career growth. I, you know, obviously people who are at the executive level, I've had a lot of experience there. People who are in the healthcare space, people that are across the board. And I used to, you know, everyone says, who's your target audience? That's the number one thing everyone keeps saying. And you need to have that. My target audience are individuals that are either in a leadership position or aspire to be more deeply in a leadership position and, and really want to be aligned more deeply with their purpose and how they make that impact. So some of the individuals I really love working with are people that are leading organizations, um, whether that's in not-for-profit or for-profit entrepreneurs and people that really feel that they have a purpose of why they're there and they want to also cultivate environment around them, uh, what they're doing. So I've been working a lot with not-for-profit leaders, um, also physicians have been hired by physicians as well. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, they have in other individuals that get on a certain track in life that, you know, they go to medical school, then I do residency, then I do a fellowship and now I'm supposed to be this. And now they're at a moment of, wow, like I want to do this now, but how do I go there? So that's been one area. And, and also people that are looking to make a change in their life. You know, people that are want to move into another direction, people who are starting companies, um, love working with them. And also newcomers uh, is another big area that I've spent a lot of time with as well. Um, you know, people that are looking to make a huge change in impact. So absolutely love working with individuals and also teams as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the rise of coaching um, lately as an as industry is super interesting mm -hmm. because I think there's like a 
currently we're going through this big transformation and the older institutions are not being as effective anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, schooling is not giving people, driving people towards happiness, mm -hmm. right? It's not giving people the ability to transform and change themselves. Um, you know, even like existing, existing infrastructure from the, from churches to schools to governments, right there, we're so used to treating people like, just like as resources, just work, make money, pay your bills, you know, take on debt, pay that debt off, right? You were meant to be a worker, pick a company, work there for 30 years, 50 years. That used to be the old model, right? Right. People were like cogs in a machine. But now the current environment relate, uh, translates to people being more valued at a higher level resource. Mm -hmm. People are more valued and can get, extract more value out of life of being uh, more higher thinking, high, more higher cre creative individuals who can problem solve at deeper levels, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it is from you know, a, a, a get, a, getting a bunch of skills that are unique and blending them together and creating a company or creating a, providing a service, right? People's limitations are now being removed. But with that has come this influx of a need for more interpersonal one-on-one -on -one kind, of, mm -hmm. uh, kind, of, kind of coaching and involvement. So I feel like coaches and growth coaching, performance coaching, these are all terms that were only available for like high functioning people before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. CEOs, the VPs of the world, whose corporation pay for that. Or like if you're like, you know, a cardinal or if you're like, you know, at a, at a high right. level position before. Right. Now I feel like a lot more people can benefit from this type of thinking. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So do you, do you do any kind of like seminars or more like teaching or like actual classes to get a wider audience to get into the mindset of, of growth? Yeah. That's it. First of all, I just want to, uh, agree and, and affirm what you just said. I think we're living in a time right now that, you know, so many things are changing. And I think there's an awakening among individuals of the old way of companies and the old way of doing things. That's, that's gone. You know, there's, you know, there's a rise now of like mindfulness, the importance of meditation, the importance of being grounded in where you're at. And I think it just, it's part of our evolution that you know, people realize by having that, it's impactful and, and that really changes. So one of the goals that I have, you know, my real passion, I love public speaking and I'm also writing right now, I'm in the midst of writing a, a book as well. So I do do some, right now it's been on webinars and there was so many things right now with COVID, um, you know, the public speaking format is changing. But that, are, that is something that I am uh, working on and will continue to develop uh, opportunities to speak to organizations, groups, and platforms um, on some of those topics that are so important. So it really is important. Right now, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one or small group um, coaching or you know, working with them. But I also want to develop some opportunities to have a wider audience as well. That's, that's really important to me. Definitely. I know we're running a little low on time here, but sure. could you talk about what, the, what type of one-on-one -on -one workshops, what does that look like? What does the growth coaching from your point of view look like? And what are you looking to do? What are the mm -hmm. goals you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So, you know, I offer kind of uh, two uh, packages right now or two levels. One of them is um, a little bit of a deeper dive than the other, but the first one is kind of a, a, a nice introduction that I've been finding that it works well for a lot of people that may never have had a coach before or entered into it. And it's kind of a laser focus approach. It's three coaching sessions. Um, the first one is 90 minutes followed by two 60 minute sessions. And this can be really for something if you really want to laser focus in on something. Maybe you're trying to evaluate, you want to make a career change, you're struggling, you feel blocked. Like there's something inside of you that, you know, you've had success, but you want to move in a new area. Those three sessions are a way to kind of dig deeper. What is maybe, you know, what is the issue? What's the fear? How do we want to move that forward and to help you kind of have that plan? The other sessions that I offer are um, a minimum of six sessions. And those are deeper dives. Three of those are 90 minutes, three or 60 minutes. And it really is something that's really specific that you want to focus on. Um, again, it can be a career change. It can be, let's say, maybe you're grow you want to grow your company. And you're at a point right now, you're, you know, you're a leader, you founded it, 
and you're just feeling like, wow, I'm feeling pulled. I want to hone in more deeply on my message. Where, where do I really want to make the impact? Um, and we go deeper into those sessions. My biggest thing is looking at sometimes the fear. A lot of times what holds us back from growing is fear and, and really want and don't want to block that and, and really having some concrete steps and ways to align with your strengths to move forward. And so those are some of the packages that, that are offered as well. And, and, you know, they're bespoke. A lot of times people will connect with me. I listen to what they're having to say, and we design a very bespoke package based on those sessions of what they hope to achieve at the end. And one of the things about it, it's not therapy, but it can be therapeutic, um, you know, as well, because a lot of times it may have a focus on business aspect, but it definitely is going to impact you as a person and, and really bringing some things up you need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great sentiment to, to, to talk about. Um, so on a, on a personal note, at our company, we're looking for like, growth coaching as an aspect of uh, personal development because we do sales, right? We do outbound, we do commission-based sales on behalf of technology companies. And a lot of, like I've been doing sales for 12 years and in the sales industry, like salespeople are, are naturally psychologically kind of messed up. Right? <laughs> you kind of have to be, right? To be able to take constant rejection, put mm -hmm. yourself in a, in a state of constant pressure Right. And one of the things I enjoy about, especially running commission-only sales teams, the type of personality you run into, you right. run into a lot of extremophobes who are like very extreme versions of, of people um, that don't really find a fit anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. here because, you know, sales provides them the type of freedom, right? They mm -hmm. make a certain, like, they, they can make uncapped money. There's no micromanagement. They're moving on their own and they need to evolve. But a lot of that requires great mentorship. Mm -hmm. Right. I have evolved and become better at my skills and my trade because I've had great mentors that I've been able to work with, great bosses that I've looked at and seen, wow, how do you function at such a high level? You know, what are the tactics you use? What's your mindset? I've been able to activate that. But now with COVID, we're now running our entire team, everything virtually. Mm -hmm. People are not sitting in the same room anymore, like picking up on small cues. There's no water cooler talk. There's, right. no, there's no bumps in the place. So we're trying to figure out a way to actively put people in positions of growth where they're thinking mm -hmm. about personal development, you know, what they want to be, um, uh, give them a point of view, a point of reference to be like, Hey, who do you look up to? Who do you have as a reference curve for your mm -hmm. personal trajectory, trajectory in life? Mm -hmm. Just think, just putting people in that frame of mind that today is, is today is bad or today is good. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's going to continue. It requires mm -hmm. constant work for you to reach where you want to mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. Ebb in life. If you go with ebb in life, the flow of life, you're going to end up in some random place and you might not be happy with yourself or life and full of regret and disappointment. And the way you get past, past that is mindfulness yes. of like where, where you are right now, where you have come from and where you want to go. Yes. Right? Take the time to kind of d dive into that. It's important. And having someone to structure that from an external point of view, I think mm -hmm. has become more and more important as now we've become more fragmented as a society mm -hmm. where we are mm -hmm. less inclined to work in these bigger corporations. We're less likely now to go for these bigger classes, like we're going for like online based learning, uh, more segmented through the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it gives us power. Right. We can get lost in that noise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we need good leaders and, and good coaches to kind mm -hmm. of filter that noise for, for, from ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So definitely kudos for what you're doing and, and with Thank your you. background history, I'm super, uh, super, I'm, I'm, I'm more than, more than happy to recommend you to other people. And, and, Thank I, you. and I think, like, you know, especially since you have this kind of natural charisma to your, the way you talk, but even straightforwardness, you. you know, you talk Thank about you. this is exactly where I've came from. This is my trials and tribulations. And now I want to translate to other people's growth. Yeah. I think that's very, where that can, that can be read and, 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 uh, people can really, uh, jive with that. Yeah. So, thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you. So, I think, yeah, please yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, where can people find you? How can they find out more information? Um, introductory classes, is there webinars you can see? Like, you know, how do you structure yourself? Yeah, sure. So feel free, people can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm one of these crazy people, probably like um, from, you know, my time at the Cardinal and also just, you know, working in New York. You send me a message, you'll hear from me most likely that day. 
you know, and I, I, I respond to people. So reach out on LinkedIn, send a note when you reach out. That's one way. Uh, my website is uh, www.evolutionevolution.com and uh, there's some information there. But people can also email me directly, just at brianevolutionevolution.com. And welcome to hear from people. I think, you know, it is such a joy. My greatest joy in life is probably seeing things in someone else that they don't see themselves and helping to lead them to that moment to kind of uncover that. Or, you know, to look at things in a new way you know, we can, it's so challenging, especially in sales, you know, being in philanthropy, it's like sales too. It was, you know, it was all about relationships and, you know, moving donors to another level and, and money in and timeframes. And, and it's You're separating it's people from their money. Totally. You're separating and people from their money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I used to say, you know, it was always about their investors. And so you have to show what the ROI is to them. And how do you do that? But there is a drive there, you know, there's an energy. But, you know, I used to hear from people too, like, oh, like, I find it so hard, you know, they could cultivate forever, but they never close deals. Or, you know, so many people were very good on technical things, but they weren't good about networking. And, you know, really, it always ties back to who we are, like who we are. There's usually something that's inside of us that's holding back and, and helping us not achieve something or being misguided. And, and that's where coaching and having, you know, individuals like myself and so many other talented individuals to work with people to help them look at things in a deeper way takes so much out of it. And especially in the workplace, especially now, more people are going to be at home. That's a whole different dynamic. And, you know, people who are extroverts probably had a lot of energy when they were in the office. Now they're more isolated. And how do you capitalize on that? What are you doing? So, yeah, it's a, it's a big moment. And I think it's exciting because it's a new chapter and it's a new way of aligning that mindfulness, that, that kind of spirituality, whatever you want to call it with your gifts. It just, it's empowering. And yeah. um, if there's anything out of this crisis, I think that's something that's really going to be powerful as we move forward. Perfect. And that's a great way to end the segment. Thank you, uh, Brian, for coming on. Just hold on for about two minutes. We'll do a quick debrief, okay?